Welcome back to the program. Danielle McLaughlin, Kelly McDonald. We're hanging out here hosting today's edition of the program. And we'd like to remind you that uh, we are here every day from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time with uh, a brand new Kelly and Company edition. Also like to welcome in Ramya Muthan, of course, co-host, regular of the co-host on the program. But at uh, the end of the month, last Tuesday, generally... Right, we tried to stretch it into the last Tuesday, so we have more time to read our books. Uh, we visit for our book club, Ramya. You host it for us, so I'll hand things over to you. All right, thanks, Kels. Yeah, this is a, a fun time of the month for me, and it's our Kelly and Company book club. It's our chance and your chance, if you've been reading along with us, to get into the books, the authors, the narrators that we love, and sometimes we don't love. So uh, we're believe still in the midst of getting our recommender on the line we got him okay cool so the book for discussion today is after steve how apple became a trillion dollar company and lost its soul this is by trip mickle released in 2022 very recently and recommended to us by one of the biggest techies on ami steven scott steven thanks for coming on thanks for coming on what do you mean one of the biggest surely the biggest biggest. come on I don't know. It's a little close to home right now. We had Sean Priest on the show yesterday. I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, he's not yet. a techie. Have you had him on the show? Come on. You heard him on our this show. Guy. He sounded really good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. So this book was released this year. So before we get into all the nitty gritty of it, um, why'd you recommend it to us? Other than that, you know, you, you talk Apple a lot. Uh, and when did you pick it up? Like, were you anticipating right away? I'd heard about it. I was interested, of course, in this story. Um, I think anything, especially whenever anything comes out around Steve Jobs, I'm always interested. I'm a little bit of a uh, an Apple fanboy, just a, just a tiny bit. And, um, you know, as a result, I do follow, you know, what goes on with the company. And I've always been interested in what the company is about. You know, I've followed that company pretty much since my school days. You know, that's the first time I remember getting my hands on an Apple Mac. And then I actually met a, a proper Apple fanboy. And that's kind of what got me into it because he was mm-hmm. so into it and you know he actually he was the son of one of the teachers at the school and he would come in and he we would spend the, the the lunch breaks just talking and geeking out about apple stuff and i used to get floppy disks sent home with utilities and programs and games and oh it was just uh, i remember all that joy. I, I was thinking yeah, in the book that? i loved in the book when they mentioned my first computer the apple IIe. Mm. talk about oh, dating yeah yeah, yeah, no. Absolutely. I mean, just amazing, amazing machines. And I think, you know, this was why this book was interesting because, of course, it's not looking at the life of Steve Jobs. No. It's looking at what came after that. And, um, yeah, it has been an interesting ride for the company, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, you know, this is, I was the complete opposite. I knew barely anything. Uh, I was pretty late considering uh, to the Apple market altogether. But now I'm almost all Apple everything. But conveying this kind of information the way that trip mickle did in this book was really interesting to me it was all storytelling you know it wasn't stats and numbers and articles it wasn't just the history of apple in this dry article form it was settings and characters and descriptions of all kinds there's so many stories out there so were you for the two of you were there stories that you were leaning into more than the other? As you said, Jobs was kind of, he was in the picture, but out of it. So with Johnny Ive, with um, with Steve Jobs, I guess, with Tim Cook, 
and other characters. Kells, anybody stood out to you that you were kind of like, that's fascinating? Oh, of course, Johnny Ives. Um, I mean, from education to, to which was really nice to hear kind of what, where he came from, went to, um, and just, you know, even thinking of getting out of it, you know, I, I always think when people say, well, yeah, I, I think I want to move on to do something else. And we, we saw different people in the book uh, that were referenced that moved on to other career careers, uh, mm-hmm. whether it was at GoPro or wherever. But that I always find fascinating because it's a, such a different world to us. You think, my gosh, don't you have the dream job at Apple? Now, again, as you read the book, you know, hey, man, every job has its moments where you're upset you've failed at something and got to be accountable for it so it's not like you didn't hear that but just the many people that work for apple the many parts of the world where uh, they're a big thing where hey are they you know are they the perfect company are they doing the right things they're a company they're making money some people would say they do this right they do that wrong so i would say johnny eyes for me was the character that i was most interested in because of the the creative abilities but also just where he went through this thing well he was obsessed with design and nobody could parallel that the way that jobs had for him before which is why you really saw the decline throughout the book of of him uh how about you Stephen? anybody in particular well again it was johnny ive but for a slightly different reason um okay it was it was really interesting to me reading his story about his education and how he came up especially at school where he talked about being uh, more on a level with the teachers than on a level with the pupils. And I thought that was really interesting because that it was me. That was exactly mm. who I was. I didn't, I, I should point out, I don't have Johnny Ive money, but you know, at the same time, uh, it kind of goes to show that the kind of people who end up in these industries and the kind of people who break out into our, into our worlds, you know, the kind of things we do, they are the kind of people who are often on the edge of everything. They're not the cool guys, although he was a pretty cool guy by all accounts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the it, hair. it was more a- the hair. But he yeah, also, but he, even in school, yeah, wasn't, hair, uh, yeah. what do you call it? He wasn't the geeky as much as he could do. He was w- what he was. He wasn't somebody you figure, you always picture the the, the bullied individual. And, and not at all. Yes, right. that's right. The, the tortured soul and yeah, all that. No, it, it wasn't that. He wasn't that at all. He was actually someone who was very clear in his own mind about who he was, mm-hmm. what he wanted to do. And, you know, it, it kind of doesn't marry up with the California, the Apple, the, the world that he ended up in. Of course, it wasn't his only place. He, he didn't, you know, kick off there. But mm-hmm. the point is that he, he was in a, a, a really interesting place mentally to be able to get to something like that. And actually, his drive and determination um, was something I admired because I think we all, as, and I don't mean to bring it necessarily back to blind people, but the, I think that there's, a, there's definitely a parallel here in that you do need a lot of confidence. I remember a friend mm-hmm. of mine saying to me, you cannot be a shrinking violet when you're blind. Right. And I think that's true. Or an on-air person or a person like himself deciding, do I exactly. want this job, that job? I have to think over it. Well, he yeah, didn't exactly. always have the thickest skin. You saw that, right? You saw the way he was not taking rejection well. Uh, and, and it led to some really dark places, I think. But you're right. He saw so much further than his current circumstances. And because of that, um, or I think it's a it's a big reason why he got as far as he did. But guys, I want to move to something very crucial, which is the description in this book on the projects, mm. on the products. I don't think I've ever heard 
you know, Apple products being described the way they were in this book. And I was like, wow, yeah, that is genius. My God, the glass. It was just <laughs> exceptional The curvature to me. of the metal, right? I yeah. know. <laughs> the stand of the eye. Like, get out. Like, carving no the, carving it like the this. computer out of a chunk of metal. It was unbelievable. It was un- I couldn't believe it's, it's it. Like- it's uh-huh. just audio pornography, really. It's just incredible, <laughs> and you know, for especially for an Apple fanboy. But you're absolutely right. It was it was just so interesting to learn about the design, and actually, his passion came through. Trip Mickle actually brought the passion of Johnny Ive and his yes. designs through, yeah. and I thought that was really good. But you know, even even thinking back though, I mean, look at the the projector he made. You know, because he thought, you know, this, these projectors that they use in class are terrible, you know, so we need something that's more portable. Right? So he creates yep. that. Yep. And, you know, his dad is so proud of him, uh, you know, being able to achieve that. And he's like, that's my son. He came up with this. And, you know, his design, his 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 love of aesthetics, you kind of wonder where that came from, considering where he came from. That's what always fascinates me. Do you know what it was to me? It was the accuracy. Like what he drew on paper is what he needed in real life. And there was nothing, in his eyes at least, that was in the way. If that technology didn't exist already, well, he would just make that happen. He'd have yeah. to go to the source mm-hmm. and make it happen. And it was when that first example of when he wanted to bend that metal for the iMac, the L-shaped mm-hmm. base, and yeah. he refused. He refused the tiniest, uh, you know, infractures. And I was like, this guy, he's a go-getter, but on a on a total level, like it was unbelievable to me. Yeah, you get a really interesting place to when you, what they would see and what they wouldn't see in in the, what they wanted to do. I think a lot of time writers too get hesitant to get too into the description because some people I don't want to hear all that. That doesn't mean mm. that, that's too above my head. When really we're talking about the way it was described, the way it was discussed anyone could latch on to. You could understand. The, he, you got your description. I won't say minimal words, but it, you didn't get lost or bogged down in it, but it was always what made it, I won't say efficient, but yeah, like when you talk about the antenna bending around inside right. and wh- where it needed to be and things like that, and I, I sat there and think, how many times do I grab my phone and people say, I, I can't hear you, you're, you're choppy. And it's because I've grounded out my phone where I'm grabbing it and I have to move my hand. So I totally understand when you're creating something, how do you find these problems and solve them? And it yeah. was under, uh, wonderful to hear that. It was yeah, because... And to your point... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but to your point, Ramia, about the design and the frustration that I think we we heard through the book about how he, you know, although he wasn't the tortured soul, he certainly became that to some degree oh, with the, yes. with the kind and of work to he was others. doing, and absolutely to others. And I think that was kind of born out of again the education, because when he moved into university, when he got into university, and he started, you know, in that design class, and he talked about the fear. It was interesting that that was picked up on the fear in the classroom, the fear of getting it wrong, making sure that you get it right, that you're always on point. And, you know, that seems to be something which has become synonymous with Apple. I'm not sure about today, but certainly there was that. When Steve Jobs was there, when uh, Johnny Ive, when those two were together, I mean, people would run in fear, literally, hide um, out of the way of those guys. You know, know, the old stories of you would never get in an elevator with Steve Jobs because you probably (laughs) wouldn't have a job by the time you came out of it. Um, You know, is that, it's just really interesting to read, but can you, can you create the kind of products without that kind of environment? And of course, it's hard to know the answer to that, right? Well, it's hard. It clearly works. But it also, where does it come from too? And I would say from Steve Jobs and because of the very narrow margin of being a successful company and not. 
or disappearing so yeah. quickly, like when dot com came along, right? Like so many businesses, goodbye. Right, and, and that's but, I mean, how many people? They, yeah, they of course they created the environment for the flourishing of not just better but the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, Stephen, you know, at what cost, right? Because as as soon as Steve Jobs left, it was like scramble. Now, I want to ask you both about this cancel culture situation and how it comes back to the book, because Apple refused to apologize for, for several things and key moments of these bo- in the book as well, um, described, you know, not apologizing for maps when it was first all screwed up right, and yeah. uh, then Cook having to make the decision to apologize in later circumstances of different things. So the, even the watch, right, which as we know it now is an incredible piece of technology, but that first iteration of you know prematurely releasing it and things like that. So your thoughts on the struggle with this with this notion of Cook being like, I, I don't know how to be my predecessor. I need to step into my own shoes, but also what would Jobs have done? What are we doing now that Jobs never did? Uh, Stephen, your thoughts on that? Like apologizing, not apologizing. Obviously, Apple is an innovator. Do they need to apologize for getting it wrong? I think they should. Yes, I think they should. But I think there's often, again, this hangover, and it's all from Steve Jobs. It all started yep. there. I've got a little bit of insight on this from my own experience. I did some work with Apple very uh, a number of years ago. And I remember every decision. I, I kind of laughed when they said it. I remember going into the store, which was my local store in Scotland. I had not long opened, and we were doing this visual impairment awareness day. We were going to be you know, demonstrating voiceover and all these wonderful things. And I remember saying, well, I'd love to do this and I'd love to do that. And the manager's writing it all down. He's saying, yes, absolutely. And he says, well, well, of course, we'll have to check with Steve. And I laughed. I'm like, yeah, right. You're going to call up Steve Jobs and he's going to be like, oh, yeah, this little store in Scotland is wanting to do something with something. Mm. Yeah, he's like, no, 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 no. We really we do have to you know, kind of push up the, the line and, and check it's okay. Now, whether Steve Jobs personally took responsibility for that, I highly doubt, but the point is that that's the kind of company they were, and they still are. And that's yeah. one thing that they, they've become. They've become this, they, they, they are very, um, the, the, it always feels like a company that's very nervous of itself. It's a company that's nervous of its success, despite having huge success. And of course, it talks about that. Of course, it does. But it, it seems wary of its success. Maybe that's the right thing. Maybe that's the right attitude. Well, because and I it think could sometimes, go away. and I think sometimes we think that oh, they're falling behind the others because they're taking their time. They're not rolling this. Up. They haven't done something new. But when they do, it's that step forward where they're ready to go. And for the most part, it's it's been approved. It works because they don't want those embarrassing moments like they had with Maps when whoa, oh, lots of mm. bad things were happening when yeah. it rolled out. We don't want to have to say sorry. We want to just fix it. Because before a, that, very... they had no room for margin of error. They, they It was success after success after success. There was no iPhone. There was no iPod. There was no whatever, right? Like, they were creating it from nothing. And then you think, okay, but where do we go from here? And you're right. That does come with the fear. Really quickly, guys, like hmm. 20 seconds each, do we fear Apple? Do we know because of everything that they have created and how far they can go to reach their targets are we fearful or are we impressed impressed yeah I I, impressed. I, I, yeah yeah i gotta say yeah. impressed but i also don't fear because there are now because of what they've done and there's a lot of other places out there we can look at now where before we couldn't because exactly. we have this thing called choice now 
Yeah, mm. exactly. That's the one thing we didn't have before. And and this is, especially for, in our world, right, when it came to accessibility, Apple were the first. Um, yes. I mean, not exclusively, obviously, no. there were other products at the time, but they were first uh, in terms of the mainstream. And now others are following. I think that makes our lives a little bit easier because we feel, <gasps> okay, if they all fall off a cliff one day, then you know what? We'll be fine. We've got Android forever else. That's right. right. Wow. Don't even say Samsung. I was just going to say, we'll pull up your friend Bixby. Oh, Oh, yeah. Please do, if you can get it to work. Exactly. Stephen, absolutely loved this book. Thank you for the recommendation. Appreciate you coming on to talk about it, too. No, thank you, guys. Really appreciate yeah, the time. I, and you set the trend. Next, uh, she'll bring Brock in. He'll recommend, yeah, it, of course, a sports book. <laughs> who, yeah, we're going through the list of who thinks they don't read and then bringing them onto the book club. Um, I'm going to tell everybody about next month's book. So uh, Stephen's going to get out of here. But the next month's book was recommended to us by another contributor on the show, Julie Martin, our uh, community reporter from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. It's called The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn. And it is available in human-narrated audio on so I know you guys are clapping about that. It's an unforgettable World War II tale of a quiet librarian who becomes history's deadliest female sniper. It's based on a true story. In the uh, snowbound city of Kiev, Ryan, Rye and book history student Nila Pavlikanko organizes her life around her library job and her young son, but Hitler's invasion of Russia sends her on a different path. Given a rifle and sent... To join the fight, Mila must forge herself from a studious girl to deadly sniper, a lethal hunter of Nazis known as Lady Death. I'm going to pause it there for the synopsis. We're discussing it on the last Tuesday of November, which is November 29th. Thank you. Thanks, Ramya. Appreciate it. Ramya Muthan hosting our uh, book conversations we do, as she mentioned, on the last Tuesday of the month. Danielle McLaughlin and I will return in a moment to wrap up the show.